DVD Clutter is recorded on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people. We pay our respects to the Elders, past, present and emerging, of the Kulin Nation and to other Indigenous Australians that may be listening. Hi, I'm Paul. And I'm Beck. And this is DVD Clutter. Yes, it is. Yes. And I am standing up. Wow. At a desk. I, I'm sitting at a desk. Wow. I know that's it's a more traditional approach. Yeah. Not not um not too crazy. I just wanted to be involved. No. Yeah, fair. That's totally fair. Um, hi. Hi. How are you? How are you? I'm all right. Yeah, we've been back at home, working from home, mm-hmm. teaching over the interwebs. Yeah. Great fun. Fully locked down. Um, fully locked down. So locked down. All because of one man, Patient Zero. Dun, dun, dun. Tom Hanks. <laughs> no, Gwyneth Paltrow from oh, yeah. Contagion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I did realise, Paul, like, you know, with the curfew and everything, because if you're not in Melbourne or if you're not in Australia, if you're in Australia, you kind of know what's happening in Victoria, but if not, Melbourne is completely locked down. We're not allowed out of our houses between the hours of... Eight and five. So we are... Yeah, so we're allowed out at 5am in the morning and then after 8pm we have to stay inside. But you're only allowed out for like one hour or whatever. Yeah. But really, that's that really didn't change my life. I mean, <laughs> I hardly leave the house anyway. So, in fact, if anything, it's making me go for more walks because I'm like, oh, I have to go out for an hour. Yeah. No, I get that. Uh, well, especially the between yeah. 8 and 5, except just because of COVID before this bit of COVID we were actually going for evening walks more often, like around 8 o'clock because, um, because there was less people around. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I feel like since the gym was closed, people are just getting out there. Yeah. Which yeah. is good. Yeah. Like, everyone needs to be outside more. Yeah. It does cause congregation on the walking paths, which is not what you want. No, no. <laughs> at this particular time. Yeah. Spread out, though. Um, yeah, spread out. You know? Back in the 30s, they didn't have things such as disease. No. Just kidding. They had terrible disease. But that's where our film is set. Yeah, they they um, were going through a recession, though. Oh, no, they were in a depression by that stage. The Great Depression. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, folks, um, we are starting our five-film miniseries on Tom Hanks with The Road to Perdition. And we, uh, we're going from most recent to least recent, otherwise known as oldest. We wanted to start from the beginning, obviously. We're not crazy. <laughs> but unfortunately, the oldest film that Paul has in his Tom Hanks Super Duper collection is The Bachelor Party. Is that what it's called? I think it's just Bachelor Party. No, that. Oh, yeah, Bachelor Party. Yeah. No, that. Um, and we can't find it anywhere yep. online. And boy, so... oh boy, there might be a reason for that. We'll, um, <laughs> when we get there, we'll get there. So we're going to have to go... By snail mail. I'm sending it to Beck now after yes. I've watched it. Um, yes. So instead, we're going from old Hanks to young Hanks. And old Hanks is yes. sort of the Hanks that I'm more comfortable with, being born yeah, in the... Insane. Yeah, Yeah. You know, I, I grew up, and I think I can probably speak, because this is our first Tom Hanks series episode. We have done Forrest Gump before, but Tom Hanks, yeah. like, when I first started getting into film, Tom Hanks was really one of those figures that, like, oh, if Tom Hanks in that movie, that means it's a prestige film. You know, that's... Oh, I was, really? Yeah, very much sort of like, you know, he's won two Oscars. Uh, <laughs> clearly, he only does... I don't, think, I don't think I had that quite the same yeah. vibe towards him, maybe because I'm a bit older. But having said that, I can't 
No, I definitely don't have that same vibe. I remember him from rom-coms. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, which is, it, it's really weird. But I, I've got kind of got this thing in my head where uh, when I was younger, I did get him and Bill Murray mixed up a bit. I can see that. Yeah. So They're kind of a bit goofy looking. That's that's it. And they kind of do that thing where they go like, like, you know, and speak like that when they're sort of mocking people. That was, that was great. Um, so I had it sort of mixed up in my head that I kind of think, I thought that Bill Murray sort of did the sleepless in Seattle, like, because I'd seen that at a younger age. Yeah. And I'd, I'd mixed yep. that up. Um, right. When, you know, it had been young Hanks. Yeah. But yeah, old Hanks, he's very serious, you so know. serious. He's out to get more Oscars. He's, yeah, he's like, I guess he's, he's transitioned from, we're going to go backwards, but he's... At this point, he's, like, transitioned into a more serious actor from, like, the young heartthrob that he once was. Yeah. And I guess he's also um, found a niche for himself in sort of being, like, the way you see him described is America's dad, you know? He's yeah. he's playing the everyman, but the, the nice everyman that, you know, is morally correct. And I always love it. Um, there's a joke in the Simpsons movie where the EPA is putting out an ad, for, the government's putting out an ad, and... Tom Hanks does the voiceover for it, and he started off with, Hi everyone, I'm Tom Hanks. The US government has lost all of its credibility, so they're borrowing some of mine. And I just go, you know, that's perfect. That's exactly what Hanks is, you know? like Yeah, it's like reassurance, yeah. trust. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you feel safe when he's there. Yeah. Um, and that's why I guess Road to Perdition is an interesting one to sort of include when we look at it, because he does play uh, off-type, you know? Yes, definitely does. Um, if you haven't seen Road to Perdition or heard about it, I'll give you a little plot breakdown in a second. But first of all, Paul, do you want to tell us how you came to get this excellent collection of DVDs? I will, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about um, Road to Perdition too and, you know, when I saw it for the first time. And Road to Perdition, I think, was a big reason why I bought this box set, and it was the film that was sort of highlighted on the front of the box set too. So... Do you have the box set there with you? Here it is. So yeah, as you can see on the box, I can't see it, sorry. box set, it's oh, got oh, Tom okay. Hanks in Road to Perdition at the front. Now, I can't remember if I bought the box set when I was sort of in my light, late high school years um, and didn't get around to watching it till first year uni, but... First yep. year uni is when I watched all these movies. I had seen yep. Road... And I started with Road to Perdition, I remember. Because wait, wait. Is that the box set or is that just Road to Perdition? No, this is the box That's set. That's the whole box set. Yeah. That is the thinnest box set I've ever seen in my life. I know. It's a five-disker. That's, That's a new age box set. Oh, that's so interesting. So... For those of you who can't see what I'm seeing, which is everyone except me, um, so I'm used to box sets like my Buffy box sets, which have one DVD cover per DVD. You've got a box set that is literally the size of one DVD, but it has five inclusive DVDs in it. And that's it, and they're all sort of like... That blows my mind. Hanging out in there. Yeah, this is a, a common thing that um, DVD distributors do after sort of that first round of DVDs sort of came out, so... They released all these DVDs um, with the new technology, and then not all of them sold, believe it or not. Not everyone was picking up copies of The Man With One Red Shoe. So what they'd do is they'd sort of pick which one was the most popular out of that and make a box set around it. And then chuck in whatever else. Yeah, then chuck in the rest of the discs. So you sort of get a weird collection of discs, some of them sort of being like from a special edition, but clearly the second disc isn't there, or yeah. something that was super basic, and then they've released 
a special edition later when DVD sort of became more of a thing. It was a way of sort of clearing house of old stock. Because it does seem like fairly misleading, the fact that that whole cover is all road to perdition. It all looks very serious. It looks very like, yeah, like Oscar, like proper film. Yeah. You know, this is a film yeah. and a movie. And then you've got some then the rest of interesting them are, choices in there. A goofball yeah. comedies, really, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you'll see that in the... Like, they could have at least put Castaway in there. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, it also gets comes down to the fact that you've got to stick with the one distributor. So these are all 20th Century Fox titles. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, yeah. But all, it is a really good box set because as much as it does sort of have Road to Perdition as the only serious film on there, it does sort of chart Hanks's career in a great way. We're starting yeah. with this Road to Perdition film, multiple Oscar nominees. Um, yeah. You know, prestige director. Yeah. Paul Newman's in the cast. We'll talk about that. And then you'll notice as we step back, each one takes away one of those elements. That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> each of them. Yeah. Even awards, awardsy buzz wise, like the next one's only got one Oscar nomination. Yeah. And then yeah, yeah. the one before that's only got Golden Globes nominations. Yeah. And we suddenly get to, uh, yeah, a weird spot. Yeah. But Road to Perdition, I remember um, being a bit younger. So, like, probably year nine, year 10 or something, but we had the Foxtel movie channels. Yeah. And um, often on a Friday or Saturday night, we'd pick a movie to watch and Road to Perdition was one of them. And I remember watching it all the way to the end. I think even like mum had gone to bed too, but I remember <laughs> that, tuned out of it. But I remember that image of the boy at the lake sort of stuck with me. Yeah, the final scene. Yeah, so that's it, yeah. the final scene and that opening scene. So I really wanted to watch it again. Um, bought this box set because it had that movie in it plus others. Yeah. And, you know, as you can see that I loved getting a lot. <laughs> it was quantity over quality with my DVD collection. Yes, we're starting to realise um, that. Yeah, then I remember being on a uni break and just sitting and watching four out of these five films basically back-to-back and Road to Perdition being the first one and being ple- pleasantly surprised at the time. Yeah. Also shocked that it had all these other famous people in it and I only remembered sort of Tom Hanks as the only... As in Road to Perdition did, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's quite an all-star um, cast, really. That's it. Um, and yeah, also kind of shocked that Sam Mendes directed it. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow, this was actually... It wasn't just a movie that we flicked onto and been like, oh, this, yeah. Is, you know, yeah. this, had, yeah. this had some gravitas. It certainly did. So anyway, yeah. tell us about it, Beck. Yes, I will do. I had not seen this film before. Um, I had heard about it, but I... Always got it confused with that Nick Cave film, that Australian one. The Proposition. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> what is that about gangsters in Chicago? Uh, you know, the Australian outback, Chicago. <laughs> same, same. Yeah. There's um, guns in both. Yeah, sure. And I think they had a fairly similar, like, I'm just looking up the, the cover because I feel like they had a similar kind of cover style. Nah, it looks completely different. <laughs> Oops. Because um, the prop, the proposition's like someone holding a gun. Yeah, and this something. one's got yeah. someone holding a gun. Guns in films. Yeah, who would have thought? They're wow. all the same film if they've got a gun in it. All right, so I'll give you a bit of a breakdown. I didn't even, even though I'd heard of the film, I didn't really know it was set in the 30s. Um, I didn't know that it was a gangster film, but that is exactly what it is. So it's essentially the story of Michael Sullivan, who's played by Tom Hanks. Well, actually, it's kind of the story of... Well, it is it's a story about him, but it's told through the eyes of his eldest son, who is also called Michael Sullivan. Yeah, so Tom Hanks' character is a hitman for the mob, um, but uh, the Catholic, or not the Catholic, the Irish version of the mob. But <laughs> the Irish mob, film, yeah. The Irish mob. In this film, they are linked to Capone, so they're linked to mm-hmm. um, Italian 
version of the mob as well that we kind of know a bit more about. Yeah, so I, I guess the way that it sort of sets it up in um, the Depression era states, there was sort of like the big city mob, which you know was Chicago in this state, but within Illinois, all of the littler cities, cities, cities had their own Silly sort cities. of mob or mafia as well. Yeah. So that sort of have a relationship with the Chicago mob run yes. by Al Capone, but yes. they were allowed to control their own little Areas. slice of a pie. Yeah. Yeah. As long they as they paid like, money. Yeah. They were all like fed with each yeah. other. Yeah. Well, cause it's, you know, it's business. It's yeah. <laughs> it was, oh, yeah. That's, organized essentially crime. that's a line from the movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's quoting. Yeah. With the tooch. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, so anyway, so he's a hitman living a good life. He's, he's working for this guy called, John Rooney, played by Paul Newman, who is an older guy. He's kind of a father figure to Tom Hanks because Tom Hanks never really, as he says it in the in the film, he never had a father. Um, but I guess this uh, Rooney fella has kind of taken him under his wing, so he feels very attached to him. He's not – Tom Hanks isn't really involved in the business. He just, like, is a hitman. So he kind of gets the names and does the jobs, and he doesn't question. He doesn't, like, think too hard in any way, I guess. But he's got uh, two kids and a wife at home. They're obviously living like a pretty... They've got a big house. They've got a yeah, nice yard, nice you know. Like, they're, they're living a well-to-do kind of life. Especially um, right in the middle of the Depression, too. That's like, right. you know. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're not... They're surviving. They're surviving well, yeah. But the story's told through, like I said, through the older son, Michael Sullivan Jr., who is played by Tyler... Hochlin, probably butchering that. Tyler Hochlin, who I don't know from anything else, but he's been on Seventh Heaven and Teen <laughs> Wolf and also on Supergirl. There you go. Great. So he's still doing bits of bobs, but he's about, he's like 14 year old in this film. Um, and he's telling the story. So we start with a little bit of his voiceover and he talks about that he didn't really know his pa very well, but in one summer, in one summer, one winter in 1932. They spent six weeks together, and this is that story. You get the impression that um, his dad's going to die by the end, don't you? I mean, I got that impression. That's pretty clear that his dad's going to die. Yeah. So yeah. So then we were. So then we kind of we start with that little introduction. Then we find out a little bit more about the family. Obviously, Tom Hanks is a bit of a distant father, I guess. He does not like super involved in the family, but his sons both look up to him a lot. So one day after his little brother asks him what it is that their dad actually does. Michael Sullivan Jr. decides, he's like, oh, actually, I don't know. So he decides to follow his dad one night and try and find out what it is that he does when he goes and does these jobs for um, Mr. Looney. Who? Looney? Is it Looney? Rooney. Rooney. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think he was actually based on a character whose name was Looney. Okay. Yeah, they changed it. Anyway. Fair enough. So... He sneaks into the car and he goes along with Tom Hanks as well as John Rooney's son, Connor, who is played by Daniel Craig. This is where we're like just ticking off the stars one after another. Mm -hmm. So Daniel Craig is the son of this kind of mob boss. He's a bit of a loose cannon. We see him even at the start. You kind of get the impression that he's a bit of a kook because he says he swears when he's talking to a kid (laughs) and the kid asks him why you're laughing or why you're always smiling and he says just because everything's so fucking funny. Fucking hilarious. It's fucking That's hilarious. What, That's I it. really love that line. I like that scene a lot. It was, um, it really reminded me of like the Joker or it reminded me of American Beauty. A lot about this film reminded me of American Beauty, yeah. which Sam, <laughs> Sam Mendes had just finished filming before he started with this one, which we'll talk about yeah. later. Daniel Craig's character is Rooney's actual son and he's clearly 
quite angry that Rooney prefers Michael Sullivan to him. Yes. So there's a lot of jealousy um, between Daniel Craig's character and Tom Hanks's character because, yeah, Tom Hanks is like way more cool, calm, and collected. He's just chill, man. He's just, yeah, yeah. he's sensible. Whereas Paul Newman can see that his son is slightly off balance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Paul Newman. I should call them by their character names. So Connor yeah. Rooney and Michael Sullivan, they go off on this job unaware that little baby junior Michael Sullivan is in the backseat watching his father's every move. So they go there to like basically threaten a guy into shutting up about something because he'd yeah. started to like, he'd started to talk back to John Rooney. Um, so they go there mm. to kind of be like, hey, come on, pull yourself together. Yeah. Remem- remember your loyalties. But then at the last minute, Connor Rooney loses it and shoots him in the head. And then there's two other guys there. So because of that, um, Tom Hanks has to gun down everybody else in the place. So he's using his lovely machine gun, which scared the hell out of poor Peggy, um, to like just Aww. mow down everyone else in the room. And then poor little Michael Sullivan Jr. sees the whole thing. So yeah. that's our kind of inciting incident. They find out that he saw everything. They're like, oh, what are we going to do? Oh, he won't tell anyone. Can he keep a secret? He's my son. So obviously he can, blah, blah, blah. Everything seems to be fine. Um, but yeah. little Michael Sullivan Jr. obviously starts acting out. As teachers, we know that trauma does cause behavioral differences. So yeah. he like punches some people at school. He writes some lines saying, I should not punch, um, no, I must not punch other kids or something like that. Which, yeah. honestly, watching that scene, I was like, I wonder if that's effective. Maybe we should bring that back. They're writing the lines. Yeah, I mean, they must have got rid of it mm. for some reason, but... <laughs> yeah. So, the mum finds out. The mum, I should say, is played by Jennifer Jason Lee, and her name is Annie. And there's a little brother whose name is um, Peter Sullivan, played by Liam Aitken. And then one day, you know, the next day or whatever... Tom Hanks is out doing another job, which he realises is actually been a job being given to him by Connor Rooney without John Rooney knowing. So it's a fake job. He's been sent, essentially being sent to his death. But he figures it out at the last minute. So and then he realises this is a setup. Oh, God, my kids and my wife, I've got to get home. He races home, but he's too late. And Connor Rooney has got there and Connor Rooney has killed the mother, so Annie, and has also killed the little boy, Peter Sullivan. Peter, yeah. He thinks he's Thinking killed, it was, yeah. He thinks he's killed Michael Sullivan, the one who saw everything, but he's actually killed the little, um, the younger son. So, yeah. which kind of ties into the fact that he can never tell the difference. He does not paying attention to other people's, you know, families and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that sets off this whole chain of events. Tom Hanks and, and Michael Sullivan Jr. have to, like, skedaddle, so they grab all their stuff, jump in the car, and then they're like drive away and they're going to go to this town called Perdition where his auntie lives and he can like live there happily ever after I guess um mm. oh, but of apart course from the it's fact, not yeah it's not that simple no on the way there first of all Michael's like oh we'll just go see the big boss in Chicago yeah yeah, yeah. so they go to Chicago they're like oh we'll fix it that way and then that doesn't work out so then they start driving to Perdition which is also so the name Perdition actually means hell yes it means a state of eternal punishment and damnation into which sin and into which a sinful and unrepentant person passes after death plus it actually does mean hell yeah I didn't know that did you know that yeah it's because of your Christian upbringing hmm I was no I think I, I think I just sin. I think I just looked it up the first time I saw the film <laughs> oh yeah, I mean yeah, I was so, yeah. and then I didn't. I just thought it was a state of damnation. I don't think I kept reading after that. 
Whoops. Okay. Yeah. That's a mistake my students make. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah. So but they're anyway, driving. They're... they're driving to perdition, like literally and figuratively, I mm. guess. Um, and John Rooney has to decide what to do. He's like, I've got to choose between my blood and flesh son, who's going a bit crazy, um, or Tom Hanks, who I actually love more. Can't bring himself to kill off his own son, his flesh and blood son. So he decides, fine you'll have to kill off Tom Hanks because this feud is now like getting out of control. So they're yeah. like, yep, yeah, great. We've got a guy to kill him off. And then we're introduced to Jude Law's character, another star. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like this sadistic, creepy villain who is now going to pursue them all the way to where they're going. He takes, he's a journalist essentially while well, he says he's with the press and he takes photos of dead bodies after they have died, dead bodies after they've died. Yep, that's it. Not before. Um, not before. Um, well, actually kind of before because he does kill them. If they're not completely dead, he's like, oh, I'll just finish you off. And that's how we yeah. introduce to him essentially. He'll do anything for the photo. He'll like move people. He's just a bit of a creepy dude. He likes taking photos of dead bodies and putting them up around his house and he also sells them. So he's our like real villain and then he's like following them and they're chasing each other. So they're like on the way to perdition to the auntie but then – Jude Law finds out where they're going, so they can't go there anymore. So then they decide to go on a big spree where they're going to steal all the money from the mobsters who have these banks all around the state, not just big ones yeah. in Chicago. So they go to all these different banks. It's so, like a nice montage. Yeah, and, and what they're doing is they're stealing the money because when Tom Hanks asked for the big mobsters' help, the big mobsters were like, nah, because it's a business. So he's like, well, I'm going to hit them where it hurts. I'm going to steal their money. Yeah, I'm going to keep stealing their money until... You know, I get the chance to kill this man that's killed my family. Yeah. That's really, like, his MO for the whole thing and keep his son safe. But he thinks the only way that he can get back to normal is for this for this other death to occur. Yeah. He wants to kill Daniel Craig. He's got a one-track yeah. mind. Yeah. Yeah, so there's this big montage where they go around all these different banks and take the money. Um, but then eventually the mob kind of realise what they're doing and they try to outsmart him. Jude Law almost kills them. They have, like, a big kind of battle scene in a hotel room but they get away just in time so then tom hanks finds all these files and he realizes oh my god actually the son has been ripping the father off the whole time and he's been stealing money from the mob and keeping it under the names of dead people in other accounts so he's been like siphoning off money this whole time which is why he shot the guy at the start of the movie because that guy was starting to figure it out it's all coming together mm-hmm. so then tom hanks is like oh my god if John Rooney knew this. He would get rid of his son because it's business, blah, blah, blah. So he goes all the way back home. He's like, I've got to tell him. So they have this, like, conversation, just the two of them, where he's like, your son's ripping you off. And um, John Rooney's like, don't you think I know that? But he can't separate his bloodlines from, you know, business. Is it business? It's obviously not just business. But also, John Rooney's also keeps telling Michael, go back to Ireland. Go to Ireland. Start a life anew. I don't want to have to kill you. Yeah. Which is, it's great. And we'll talk about it later. But it's just these competing ideas of masculinity through generations that just cause everyone to have a bad time. Which is, like, it's nothing new. It's it's what gangster films do. But um, I like the way they did in this. But, yeah, continue. Interesting. So Tom Hanks is like, what the fuck? I can't believe this. This is terrible. But he leaves with his son again. And then he's like, I can't handle it anymore. I've got to do one last thing. So he kind of says goodbye to his son, puts a letter there saying goodbye. We think he's all, we think he's going to die, essentially. goes He goes into the streets. It's rain pouring down. 
there's John Rooney with all of his lobster friends and he just guns them down in the rain. Um, so he's using his lovely machine gun. I was going to make yeah. noises, but you know what it looks like. You, that's it. <laughs> they all die. Um, John Rooney's like, I'm glad it was you. Tom Hanks shoots him. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then Tom Hanks calls the Stanley Tucci, the mob boss, well, not Al Capone, but the one underneath Al Capone, I guess in um chicago and he's like essentially this is gonna happen you, it can happen or one way or the other i've got to kill him and stanley Tucci's like fine but this is the end of it you can kill him but that's it yeah and then essentially he just gives him the key to where um the sun was hanging out where daniel craig was hiding out in a hotel and everyone like the security guards just open the door for hanks and he just like wanders in with his gun um a couple of shots while poor old danny craig's in the bath He's dead. Then he gets back to his son and his son's like, oh my God, thank God you're alive. I thought you were going to die. I also thought he was going to die. But the movie's not over. This is a two-hour movie. We've still got time. So eventually they make it. They're like, fine, all everything's done. I've got my revenge. Happy, happy. We are off to Perdition. So they drive all the way to Perdition, which I thought it was by the ocean, but it's Lake Michigan, right? Yeah. So they get to the lake. There's like sand dunes and there's a dog and it's like heaven and then uh, michael sullivan jr is off playing with the dog by the like, shore like and um tom hanks like goes up to the house and he's like hello we're here it's me and then he walks in and it's all empty which is weird that the dog would still be there but no one else would anyway we'll get to that mm. later um so it's like eerily empty and he just like stands at the windows looking at his son playing on the foreshore with the dog and you just know something's gonna happen it's too quiet it's too eerie. And then bang, bang, bang. Who was sitting in the shadows yep. waiting? It was Jude Law. Jude Law. He was really pissed off because when they had the gunfight in the hotel room, Tom Hanks shot him in the face. So he's got all these staples all over his face. He's pretty angry about that. So he shot him and he died. And that's the end. Yeah. And then um, Michael Jr. Um, comes in and sees what happened. Looks like he's going to shoot Jude oh, Law. Oh, yeah, but I forgot about that. Yeah. Tom Hanks has got like just a little bit of energy left. So he saves... Michael Jr. from ever having to kill anyone. Yeah. And then Michael goes back and lives on this farm that they lived at a bit. Yes, in the when they of the were movie. hiding out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he has a great life from the age of 14 up where he's raised by these loving farmers mm-hmm. who also happen to be really wealthy now because of some of that stolen money. Um, yeah. And that's, and he says, I never picked up a gun again. Yeah. Ooh, guns. His dad didn't want him to be violent. So yeah, that's it. That's Road to Perdition. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, so, I still enjoyed this film. I think I've enjoyed it every viewing, but obviously at different stages in my life. I enjoyed it when I just thought it was like a movie on the TV, couldn't remember much from it. I enjoyed it that second time I watched it and sort of had the surprise of, ooh, that's Daniel Craig. Ooh, that's Jude Law. This time I watched it again and it got the, ooh, that's Jennifer Jason Lee. Ooh, that's Daniel Tucci. Like, you know, mm, <laughs> ooh, that's yeah. Paul Newman. So, I really enjoyed that. It's an excellent cast. Everyone in it is excellent at what they do. I think everyone's cast really well, even though they are cast sort of off type. In essence, folks, it's your classic gangster movie. Um, it's, you know, looking at... Uh, father-son relationships it's examining what masculinity means and you know the the price of killing someone and you know what what that means i guess across generations as well so it's not you know in watching it you're not going to say much new if you're sort of a fan of the gangster genre however all of that stuff no matter if it no matter if it's novel or not is done um incredibly 
competently. It's it's beautiful to watch. It's shot so well. The themes are interlaced through every part of the story. Like, um, not sure if you picked up on it, but they've got this beautiful. The movie starts in this cold, freezing winter with snow, and then as this relationship develops or as the cold exterior of Tom Hanks melts away, it suddenly becomes spring and they end up in this summer sort of weather. Like, it sounds kind of trite to talk about, but, you know, it, it's a well-crafted film. Yeah. Um, what did you think? Uh, yeah, I agree it is a well-crafted film. I, I don't know, like, gangster films just aren't my thing. So yeah. I and found that, I think, it a bit boring. Yeah. yeah. And that's, as, as I said sort of before, this is your sort of bread and butter gangster film. And, yeah. Yeah, if, if you don't like them, you're not going to like this. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't offer much more than that. No, that's exactly right. I think yeah. the themes and the story, the story is pretty simple. Um, I found it kind of hard. I think they had to work a little bit harder to try and make Tom Hanks into this like menacing figure that he was meant to be because he everyone knew who he was. He had a reputation for being like this big bad hitman. Everyone was like, oh, Mike Sullivan. Oh, my mm. God, I'm a bit scared of him. But I, don't, I wasn't 100% sure that, um, that they – achieve that and partly that's because of the casting i think it's pretty hard to cast um tom hanks in a kind of role where he's meant to be this menacing figure because he's so well known and well loved so i think that's hard to do and maybe they needed to work a little harder on that um i know they tried you can see you know the way he's shot in the opening scenes where you don't really get to see him until they start to develop that relationship further. He's always, you know, he's, you see the back of him or you see him through his son's perspective all the time from his son's point of view. Yeah, I found it hard to completely buy into the Tom Hanks character as being that, yeah. the, having that bad of a reputation. Yeah, um, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, like there was definitely, it was definitely things to like about it. It was enjoyable. Like it was, I wasn't like so bored that I was on my phone. I wasn't like, oh, mm. God, I wish this movie would end. It just, it did go for a long time. It was a two-hour-long movie, and there were turning points where I felt like, oh, this could have been the end, but now they've, <laughs> yeah. you know, they've turned a corner, and now we're going to go on a whole nother journey, which yeah. is fine. Yeah. Um, all right, should we go through some notes that we made? Yeah, yeah. So, I, look, a lot of my notes go around, because one of the things I thought was done so well with this film was the casting, so a lot of my, my notes do fall around the cast so i don't know if you want to talk through them or if you want to talk about some other stuff first maybe i'll just say first of all because just just because of my i guess this ties in with my initial thoughts as well just that you know, like kind of like you've said already it's not a new take on these themes it's a kind of very yeah it's it's not it's not brand new it's not breaking any ground when it's talking about the father-son relationship and you know yeah the penalties of living a violent life or any of that stuff and and especially the the finding out that you're someone you love and someone you look up to actually does this horrible thing which is that whole Mm. kind of coming of age realization that michael sullivan jr is having when he sees what his dad does and he has to kind of come to terms with that in terms like in terms of this is my father this is what he does for a living he kills people for a living he's being raised on the one hand to you know, think that killing is bad and then he suddenly finds out his dad's a hitman. And I just thought Repo Man did that better. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Well, um, we're talking me. about Repo the Genetic Opera, folks, one of our early episodes. Go back and listen to it. Yes, which is yeah. a very a very unique take on similar ideas and similar themes in terms of finding out that someone you love and you look up to does horrible things. But I, maybe I'll, I just like that because Repo... I just call it Repo Man. Is it Repo the Genetic Opera? That's what it's called. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just so crazy and so, like, out there that it's so different to anything else. And this just wasn't like that. 
and and yet it had kind of similar themes. So I just thought Repo was a bit more interesting to me personally. And also it's about a father-daughter relationship and maybe that helped me identify with that more. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, definitely. And in saying that, though, I think that a, a key part of this story was explicitly looking at a father-son relationship, especially in sort of looking at, I guess, traditional masculinity and its faults throughout generations. Yeah. And I think it's made particularly clear when you sort of see you've got Paul Newman, who's sort of like the, the father of Michael Sullivan, and he's got this sort of idea that, you know, to, to be in our life, you've got to understand, Michael, like, obviously this was going to happen to you. Like, you, you kill people. Of course someone was going to kill you at the end. How else did you think this was going to end? And he sort of has that that line when he's talking to him in the chapel and sort of says, the only thing we do know is none of us are going to heaven. Yeah. You can't, what is this sort of feeling that you've got that you're entitled? And I think it's that traditional masculinity that this film looks at, that sort of being the the tough guy, the person that will kill or who will, yeah, uh, cut people off, reach out to be number one, that it, it comes with a price. And I think Paul Newman's character understood that, but being born into it, as Michael Sullivan was, or even to a, a greater extent how Connor was, there's this arrogance and entitlement that sort of goes, no, but I should be able to have this life and and end peacefully, yeah. or, you know, I should get... Whereas I think Paul Newman's kind of disgusted by both his sons in a way to sort of go, no, we are yeah. bad people. We are really bad people. We can't ever get redemption for what we've done. Which I'm on um, his side. I feel like, obviously... No? Yeah, very much. No, that's it. And very much so. And But you see sort of the Michael at least is being not a blood relative. It sort of does have some separation from that. So I think he's kept, um, I guess, in perspective more sane than the Daniel Craig character. Yeah. But then you've also got Michael is at fault, Michael Senior, in raising Michael Jr. in that he's sort of going. And it's looking at sort of this idea of, well, the way that I read into it is looking at this sort of whole idea of, oh, okay, well, this traditional masculine role is is really bad. Um, that means let's just hide it and hide all elements of it from the future, this generation coming ahead, and not talk about it and push it away and close the door. But then, if someone um, accidentally sees something, or like you can't yeah, hide but, something away, essentially. No, that's just it. But yeah. again, it's that arrogance of sort of like I'm in complete control here. Yeah, I can hide this away forever, and nothing's going to happen. Of course something's going to happen. Yeah. You choose to kill people. Yeah. You choose to be this dominant force. Yeah. You need to talk to your son. Yeah. But yeah, I just thought it, it demonstrated those themes really well. Yeah, I feel like I'm appreciative of that perspective because I don't, um, I didn't really see that. I mean, I probably just wrote it off as being like, like I, I find it hard to tell the difference between a story that, oh, I guess not always, but I found it hard for this one to tell the difference between it just being a gangster movie and a film about exploring masculinity, if you know what I mean. Like, I didn't really pick up yeah. on the fact that, like, the things that you're picking up on about it, exploring masculinity, it just, to me, was a story driven by men, which I guess... Yeah. You, yeah, I don't know. I guess I just didn't look into it as much because I'm, it's very normal to see um, men yeah. on screen, I guess. Yeah. But I appreciate and, that perspective. <laughs> and I guess because the story's done so often as well that it gets the opportunity to look at um, some nuances rather than, um, I guess, stories about women um, yes. that aren't done that often. So. Exactly, <laughs> yes. Yeah. But I, I guess also on that level too, though, I think the good thing about this film is, and the director, I watched some of the special features, and this is something that Sam Mendes talked about, was shooting a film that is very violent heavy, but not violence heavy, sorry, and, and gun heavy, but in 
trying not to glorify that or sort of look at the the actual impact of um of what shooting a gun is not just being like how how cool is it when you shoot guns yeah. well it's interesting because i read something afterwards that it was Conrad hall he's a cinematographer for this as well as um a few other of sam mendez's films but he i know him from american beauty um, yeah, and he, this was the last film I think he did before he died. Yes. He won the Academy Award for this film too. Yes, and he yeah. post posthumously. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I always um, have trouble pronouncing that. Yes, <laughs> I was like, oh God, how do I say this? Um, posthumously. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but he apparently he he and Hanks kind of coached or not coached, but they encouraged Sam Mendes to take that approach with it as well so it wasn't it was something that was kind of considered on a on a broader scale than just Sam Mendes saying this is what I want to do with violence it was something that um Conrad Hall was involved in as well and apparently Tom Hanks as well from what I read yeah yeah um, um well, that's cool yeah that's cool um yeah who do you want to talk about first let's let's start with the big man Tom Hanks so we, you've already sort of touched on him so I guess I'll just sort of add my thoughts there yeah like this was off type for him and I think it was it, it comes at an interesting time in Tom Hanks's career. Like, I think he is clearly wanting to challenge himself um, and also, you know, get get that recognition, I guess, that he got early in his career when he sort of suddenly jumped into these dramatic roles from being, you know, from goofball comedies into something sort of with, yeah, more drama behind it. Yeah. And you can see now that at this stage of his career, he'd started out directing, he'd done a bit more writing, what and now he, he wants to... Do you know? Oh, That Thing You Do was his first one, which is our oh. next film. Um, yeah, and clearly he wants to sort of yeah challenge himself in the same way with his acting, and this was something that he talked about in some of the interviews on the special features too, saying like not very much being like oh I was looking to be a bad guy, I was yeah. searching out for scripts, but he, he he said he was looking for some someone with a bit more complexity, I guess, than the the everyman that falls yeah. into trouble. Yeah, and I I, I think you know it, it was the role for it, but I agree with you a bit that it it doesn't quite gel, and I think the bit that lost it for me a little bit was the happy sort of montage in the middle where he teaches his kid to drive to drive oh he my just... god a hundred percent i totally agree he, yeah he falls too easily into the happy-go-lucky uh, america's dad character there a bit and i'm like oh i can't imagine you being that guy that just shot down a warehouse of people anymore you know yeah. like... and it kind of that whole sequence in the middle was weird when they so when he decides that was that turning point where i was like oh the film could have been wrapping up by now but now we're going to go on a big adventure where we rob all these banks and try and get our revenge that way and that middle bit was so weird because it was it started off with that montage of like are you with me son we're gonna rob all these banks um and the son's like yeah oh well there's one thing i'm gonna teach you to do gonna teach you to drive and then it's like do, 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 do. they have this That's montage it. about it was... driving and then they have a montage this about weird... robbing banks yeah this weird gear change where he'd sort of like he basically had his son in his field shaking him saying i don't want you to be me i don't want you to be me yeah anyway have you ever thought about driving? <laughs> do you know what a clutch is it clutches yeah. watch out for the tractor watch out for the tractor <laughs> yeah Yes, it was um, so weird. And the other bit that I found disbelievable, the other bit that I found unbelievable was in the field right before the montage starts is that when the son's like having a freak out, you don't even want me here. You think it's all my fault that this happened. And of course he feels like it's his fault. He was the one who followed his dad to, and then, you know, it started the whole thing. The fact that he saw what his dad does led to his mum and his little brother being killed. Of course yeah. he thinks it's, it's his fault. So he has this freak out. He's like, you think it's my fault? You don't even want me to be here. And then the dad's like, it's not your fault. It's not your fault straight away, which I found it. I was like, 
he's not a particularly emotionally like like he's the character's not meant to be very emotionally savvy i guess like he's not meant to be super in touch with his emotions and super like accepting of things as they are you know so to be to so easily be like comfort in comforting his son Mm. i feel like surely someone like him would be more like yeah it is your fucking fault at the start at least and then yeah back a bit it was was even like because i I think that he clearly sees that it's more his own fault rather than his son's but i think yeah you're right just that line of it's not your fault it you know maybe it would have worked better for him to say it's my my fault fault. like you know straight away yeah um, yeah but yeah you're right that it is overly comforting. Yeah, it was too comforting for him. It was like mm. it just reminded me of Robin Williams. It's not my. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Yeah. You know, like it's not your fault. It's not your yeah. fault. <laughs> it just didn't. It didn't gel with him as being again this like horrific hitman who's everyone's scared of. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, the montage scene was really strange. Yeah. 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 You're right. That's probably the bit in the movie that I was most shaky on. Yeah. The other thing I kind of found interesting about the Tom Hanks character is the juxtaposition between – I get 10 extra points for using that word, by the way um, – mm-hmm. between <laughs> between him and the Jude Law character because Tom Hanks is meant to be, again, he's meant to be a bad guy in quotation marks, but he's also a loving father and a loving husband, blah, 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 blah. So there's these conflicting sides of him, whatever, whatever. But then with the, with the Jude Law character, I just found it so interesting that – they're making a movie about the nuances between good and bad and between being a, a good person and a bad person and, and juggling those kind of things. And then for their villain, in quotation marks, they choose to have Jude Law portrayed as this one-dimensional psychopath. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is it's something I hadn't thought funny. of, but you're right, it does, yeah. It was so but funny. It was like you're, the- you're, you're backtracking on yourself, kind of. You're like you're negating your original point about good people do bad things or whatever by introducing this one-dimensional villain who is... Just bad. Just bad. Just weird and bad. Yeah, weird and bad yeah. and, and great. Like, I loved watching Jude Law do that performance. Mm. It was really fun yeah. to watch. But, again, that I just thought it was really interesting that they chose to do that. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Jude Law because yeah. I really love, I love, love Jude Law in this yeah. and I think it just proves that... Jude Law's, I think, unlucky a bit in that he's very good looking, yes, right? I agree. So so people keep on trying to cast him as like a leading man. Yes. He's, Every time he that happens, it. it's shit house. Yeah. He is shit house in anything. I was just listening to a podcast talking about the remake of Alfie. Oh, that yeah. they, you know, put him in and that was just a complete mess of a film because he's not a leading man, he's a character actor. Yeah. That does his best work when he's playing a weird kind yes, of gross he's thing. He's a weird guy. But he's too good looking. He's, he's too good looking. <laughs> so they keep on going, no, you're too pretty to play this weird thing. Um, yeah. We'll they, make you. And yeah. They did their best to unpretty him for this movie. Yeah, but I think that's that allows him to be a good actor. Yes. I think anytime they, they don't do that, um, they're selling him and the film short. Oh, he was still. I still thought he was good in Gattaca, and he was beautiful in Gattaca. Yeah, you're right, actually. But then he, you know, it was still very much a character part. Like, you know, he was just a giant ball of anger in that, really. Yes. And I think he could go into that. It's yeah, when he's got to be like the cool main the character. Main lead, yeah, yeah. That it's just not. It's just not the actor he is, or it, you know, doesn't suit him. Did you ever see him in um, I Heart Huckabees? No, but I. That was I just this same podcast. Um, it's called. This had Oscar buzz. It, yeah. I really love it. But they did an episode on that as well. Because yeah. that year, like, was 
Jude Law did like six films that year. Yeah. And there was sort of like a backlash of, oh, we're all so sick of Jude Law now. Yeah. Because I, I know him, I knew him from all the, like from rom-coms and from more traditional where he plays that good looking, you know, yeah. handsome dude. Um, and The Holiday, he's good in The Holiday. And I like that film. That's a good film. And he's not a weird guy in that. He's a love interest. But then I saw him in I Heart Huckabees and I was like, what the like it was so weird the movie is so weird i can't i've watched it ages ago so i'd be interested to watch it watch it again and see what i think this time around but i remember being like yeah freaked out that someone so beautiful was like doing this real kooky weird role but it's totally more him than these other ones yeah um so yeah i'm glad that they they allowed him to do to do this let's talk Um, about his appearance a bit then because i think it's worth mentioning that what they do to him. So he is this beautiful human being, mm. um, but they yellow his teeth. So he's got these really yellow kind of teeth that have been, they're not fully formed anymore. They kind of look like almost like gums, like they've been gnawed away a bit. They're they, they look like someone who hasn't brushed their teeth. It looks like he Ever, just, yeah. Yeah, ever. Not, not yeah. just one day. <laughs> mm. Um, they've made him start to lose his hair, but I would say like in a, in a way that when I first saw it, I thought he had done that. I thought he'd shaved the middle of his head deliberately. Like it was quite a strange haircut he had mm. going on. Um, and then he had these long fingernails, which are always creepy on guys. Yeah. Which that's such a sexist thing for me to say. <laughs> that's so... That's so like prejudice. That's so gendered. But um, yeah. anyway, but he also yeah. the way he just like hunched. He waddles and yes. hunches. The way he talks, um, like his his chin is always down, and he kind of looks up, you know, in that creepy way where his his chin is down, but he looks up at you with his eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, so weird. And I wonder because again, he spoke on the special features about sort of him bringing stuff to the character and working with Sam Mendes to bring it. But also, I wonder how much comes from the original comic book, like. Whether oh, the, we that character we haven't even was said that. weird. Yeah, it was based on a comic book, fact. Yes, yeah, so it was based on, on a graphic novel um, yeah. with the same name, which is also a... The graphic novel was called The Road to Perdition, but that was also attributed a lot of its kind of um, themes and ideas to a manga. Oh, wow. Actually. I didn't which know that. I've now forgotten the name of. Lone oh, Wolf yeah. and Cub. Yes, that's it. Sorry. Thank you. Yeah, you got there first. <laughs> I literally just... just yeah. <laughs> Yes, yeah. So the Japanese manga, Lone Wolf and Cub, saying that, yeah, he said it was an unabashed homage. Okay. Yeah. But... Yeah. Well, he's... That character... The Jude Law character wasn't in the graphic novel. Oh, yeah. okay. That was one of the okay. additions that they yeah. made for the film. Um, yeah, because I was wondering about that because he spoke in the special features about sort of creating the character, yeah. you know, in tune with the, you know, costume designer with Sam Mendes, and I was like, how, how much, you know, was it you creating it or how much was it the graphic novel but no fully fully them creating it yeah Yeah. fully them yeah but it was based on his character was kind of based on a someone from the press in the 1930s who they went through and took um and collected a whole heap of actual images of dead bodies in from the police files during that time um and the Mm. yeah and so some of the ones that you see in the back are actually images from the 1930s police files that you see in the background that's full on that is a bit full on. They should probably yeah. not do that. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's not true, but that's what I read. So that's I believe it because it was on the internet. So it must be true. But this guy, apparently, the guy who the character is kind of loosely, really loosely based on in terms of just the press side of things anyway and the obsession with, with the dead body photographs and moving people. He used to move people to get a better photo 
after they had died. Yeah. So that part of it is is based on someone apparently from real life. Wow. Yeah. All right. So that's Jude Law. The other person I wanted to quickly talk about, there's two people I want to talk about a little bit more. Um, uh, Daniel Craig was one of them. Yeah. That was so weird in seeing this, like, because obviously he hadn't been Bond yet. Yes. Um, and even in the special features of this DVD, he doesn't get much airtime. He just sort of quickly goes, oh, and I'm the newcomer, Daniel Craig. I've got, <laughs> you know, whatever. And then I watched, they've got the bios, so I read through of them, and his one is just so, it's like, he's done a lot of stage work, and you might know him from a couple of TV shows. Right. Sam Mendes was very happy with to work with him, and it's like, how cool is he? Yeah, I just always like that when you sort of see someone before they before their time. do their big thing. Yeah. Yeah, um, but of course, him and Mendes will work on Bond together. They do the Bond films. Um, so I know Sam Mendes does Skyfall. Did he do other ones as well? Yeah, he also did the. Um, what was the one that was after Skyfall? He did Spectre. Time yeah. to Die. Ah, oh, Spectre. Okay. In a similar way to Jude Law being this kind of disgusting character, it was kind of nice to see Daniel Craig, who we do most associate with Bond, who's obviously super put together and suave as hell. Um, it was nice to see him play this kind of loose canon. Weasley kind of yeah, little Weasley's thing too. Like, you know, That's he's, a great way to describe it. very gaunt and um, unsure of himself, but also incredibly arrogant too. Yes. In just, yeah. Yeah, like arrogant um, in he'll just like be impulsive and do something stupid, but then Weasley in that he'll be like, I'm sorry, father, you know, like sucking up yeah. to people. Yeah. 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 Um, a really, a really gross character, and yeah, extremely well portrayed. Yeah. Um, yeah. by Daniel Craig, but yeah, it was good to see. The, the other person I wanted to talk about briefly was um, Jennifer Jason Leigh. Yeah. I always feel like this is a common thing in gangster films is that uh, they often have fantastic female actresses in these small parts. Yeah. Of, of the wife, or you know, the mistress, or. Yeah. Uh, I often think I'm like, why that? You know, I I feel bad because I feel like they're underused, but also for. The way that these the gangster stories are, you know, they are such, they're explorations, I guess, of masculinity. I think you do need to have someone with a lot of ability to convey a whole spectrum of emotion um, and understanding without sort of being too involved in the story. And I think Jennifer Jason Lee does that incredibly well in this film. Yeah, in the three scenes she's in it. Well, th- that's just it. Like, obviously, the story itself doesn't lend its you know the wife character is not going to be part of the the business yeah but i yeah i'm very impressed by her ability to put so much i guess into those those brief moments yeah totally um yeah she was great she was yeah but again you do feel like she's wasted yeah you feel like they should they should write in something yeah just um they must have been like they must have been female gangsters yeah yeah Uh, i'm sure there was but i guess for the themes this film was going for. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple other notes. Yeah, sure. I've got yeah, a couple about the special features special oh, yeah, great. effects Let's... and special features too. Cool. Um blah 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 blah. Oh, just in terms of the fact that it was a it was based on this graphic novel. Well I mean directly not based not based on what is it? Like it was a graphic novel. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. So the author of the graphic novel who is name is um Max Allen Collins. He was wanted to write the screenplay, but then they never let him do that. And then yeah. he was, I think he was like on board with most of it, but he disagreed with a couple of things in the narration. Mm. He, I think he liked the ad, uh, he liked the addition of the Jude Law character. So he quite liked that character being brought in, but he yeah. wasn't, he didn't like the fact that they had Michael Sullivan Jr. narrate it from like the child's perspective. 
which is kind of weird because he, he's so he starts talking yeah. when he's still a child, but then he says, I never picked up a gun again. And he's still like 14 years old when he's narrating. Yeah. It. Um, so in the in the graphic novel, apparently he's narrating while he's an adult and he's becoming a priest. OK. Yeah. That's just a little. Yeah. Weird. Oh, that would have been good. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. like that. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Also interesting that. American Beauty starts and ends with narration as well. Um, mm. So the uh, yeah, just on that, can I just talk about a couple of things that reminded me of American Beauty? Yeah, go for it. I guess the cinematography, it's the same cinematographer, so there's a lot of that kind of, ex- like you were talking about with the the symbolism of the things that are happening outside. Well, same director and same cinematographer. So the fact that it's starting in the dead of winter and then kind of moving into spring, symbolising the relationship between the father and the son. Very similar kind of things that happen in American Beauty in terms of just very, when you actually see them, very obvious, I guess, kind of things that are happening in the world, like that, that internal struggle or the internal themes are portrayed externally. And that's very similar yeah. in both of these films. Um, but mostly the music really reminded me of American Beauty. And it's by the same composer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Who? Yeah. Uh, Thomas Newman. Thomas Newman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, Randy Newman's nephew. Ah, very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's who you know, not what you know. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm sure he does a great job. Um, especially the, the scene in the middle where they were like on their montage. There's that. He does. It's a very similar kind of tune, a very similar style of music that plays in American Beauty. And I've seen American Beauty a fucking million times because we used to study it for my year twelve class. So I've yeah. seen it a lot, and I just it reminded me a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting. There's another Thomas Newman score coming up soon with one of these films, so it'll be interesting ah, to see what your thoughts are. And yeah. the score plays a big part in that film too. So. Okay. Mm. Cool. My other little fact that I found out was that you might yeah, know yeah. this actually leads well into the behind the scenes because mm. maybe you saw this, but. Anthony Lapagia of Australian fame was cast as Al Capone mm. in the film and filmed a wow. single scene, but then that was taken out. But it says it can be found in the DVD's deleted scenes. See, yeah, I, I didn't. That was the only special feature I didn't watch was oh, the deleted no. scenes. I, I'll have, have to go, to go back. back and watch that. Yeah. Um, because I watched the special features are fairly comprehensive for a one disc set. You've yeah. got uh, a making of featurette, which was really good, and I'll talk about that in a moment. You've got a director's commentary. I didn't go through that. Had this weird thing that was called soundtrack CD. And I'm like, oh, what's that? And it was just this big ad that was like, Thomas Newman's score, Road to Perdition, available on CD. And it was like, wow, okay. Um, um, but it had cast and crew bios. It also had a production diary. So one of those ones that you could read through and talked about, oh, you know, yeah. sort of a, yeah. Um, but that was pretty good. But yeah, deleted scenes. The um, little documentary about behind the scenes was really good and especially looked at the weather plays such a role in this movie as i talked about before sort of like this you know melting away of the cold exterior of a man but also the rain really punctuates these dramatic moments of violence um in a fairly beautiful way i think actually but also Um, kind of unbelievable like that scene where sorry to sorry to puncture through the um the beauty of it but you know, the scene where he watches his dad gun down all those people. He's hmm. so he's like struggling to find somewhere to look into the warehouse where his dad's gone into. So he lies in the fucking snow. There's rain pelting down on him, and he puts his little eye to this crack in the wall in the snow with rain pelting down yeah. on him in the middle of winter. I was like, really? Too cold. Too cold. Yeah. Who could be bothered? But you you wouldn't be surprised to know then that all the all the weather in this film was fake. It was all created. Yeah. There was no and you know it 
adds to that dramatization of it. But they, they really went into a long way about how they created all the snow and a lot of it was shot on location in Chicago, the Chicago bits and closing down all these streets and setting up these giant rain rigs and wow. um, everything. Yeah, which was just pretty amazing to watch and sort of seeing the head of production design walking around with this bag of fake snow just dusting off little bits before wow. a shot. And yeah. yeah, I thought that was really impressive. And That's kind of, I mean, that's yeah. again similar yeah. to American Beauty in that that's a Sam Mendes coming from stage, I guess, just for the, yeah. the added dramatic flair. Yeah. Just trying, yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I thought that was really interesting. And yeah, that little behind the scenes documentary does, you know, talk to all the cast and it, it's good to hear from all of them yeah it also you know has a big chunk looking at conrad hole too and sort of pays yeah. tribute to him yeah that must um, have been heartbreaking he's yeah, quite young yeah which does speak me through i did want to talk briefly about this film really feels like it should be an awards contender and look it got six academy award nominations and won one so you know it was a big swinger but i feel like that year was also gangs of new york and chicago so oh, i feel really? like it was maybe a little bit of oversaturation Saturated of sort of the, the gangsters yeah. yeah prohibition sort of feel so i feel a bit bad for it because i think it you know sam mendes has obviously come off american beauty that won you know four billion academy awards <laughs> and he speaks a lot in this behind the things being like i really wanted to make sure until i had like the right project and you know i feel like this one's a real goer and i kind of feel like I got lost out a little bit yeah. um but you know Six Academy Award nominations is actually yeah, pretty. Yeah, it's pretty good, and he's good. he hasn't you know his career hasn't taken a, a dive bomb after this film. <laughs> no, no. He's doing really um, well. That's yeah, that's yeah. it. So no, pretty interesting. Paul Newman was the only acting nomination to come from it, um, uh-huh. and you know he does brilliantly in this. So I think that was fair enough. Yeah, that's so funny that all those films came out at the same time about similar yeah. a similar yeah. time period funny it did because this film yeah. did kind of send me a little bit down a spiral into finding out about all the gangs and like who was who <laughs> and what was what because i was i was trying to figure out i was like al capone was like the italian mafia and i know that the irish mafia was kind of separate and they were rivals so i was surprised that they were like working together in this film essentially so i was trying to figure out whether that was the case i couldn't actually find anything that told me like definitively whether or not they would have, you know, worked together. Most of it said that the Irish mob was the biggest rival in Chicago for the Pony gang, which had a name, the five something. Yeah. From like a few gangster books I've read, the way to sort of think about it is really do think about it sort of like as businesses. Yeah, yeah. And so like, you know, it's not deals, but yeah, yeah, and it's very much about, you know, trading for money and, you know, okay, well you can buy this thing and that and so rivalry, like, it's not like they're every day out in the streets punching up. Yeah, Even though yeah, there's some yeah, of that, yeah. it's very much like, okay, cool, we'll let you do that if you trade us, this you know, thing, this yeah. protection racket here and, you know. Yeah. yeah, it was... And I guess this film wasn't lot, necessarily lot about the, that side of no, things so much, yeah. was it? But it did make It was a, about, yeah. No go. Yeah, uh, yeah, a relatively small, I guess, section of the, yes. the mob. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, do you have anything else more to add? Uh, I think that's um, it. Oh, the only the yeah, like the only okay. time that I really did get the the that kind of masculinity thing was the scene where he says, "I'm glad it's you" before Tom Hanks kills him. Yeah, yeah, that was a bit over the top that scene because I feel like Tom Hanks was like crying mm. as he killed. Yeah, he's like yeah, and the rain was pouring down. Yeah, it was yeah, yeah. It was a bit much um, for me. I think it was yeah. like, oh, I've got to uh, be a man, <laughs> but I don't want to be a man. I've got to be a man. Yeah, and maybe it's. It speaks to my own sort of relationship with masculinity, but you know, I like you were going to say your own relationship with your father. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but by the time I got to that point of the movie, I, you know, 
drunk in a fairly large glass of sweet wine, and you know that that scene did kind of. Come that's pulling off you, Paul. While, while sort of understanding it was, you know, very much over the top, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, this is big. Yeah, okay, that's so interesting because I was like, oh, this is so naff. But oh, obviously, obviously there's struggles to being men as well. Who knew? I thought it was all roses. Uh, a struggle that this man is about to face is what does this movie mean to the Tom Hanks collection? Is it a vote for op shop? Is it a vote for... Chuck it out. Is so it is a vote? How, to keep? Is this, I don't think we discussed this, but is this what you're going to do? You're going to like scorecard it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because there might be the one movie in here that makes me have to keep the whole collection. Um, like Bachelor Party, because we can't find it anywhere else. Could yeah, that yeah, that could be. Or yeah, Road to Perdition is it's sitting in the op shop camp. Look, oh, I really like this film. Unexpected. Um, oh yeah, fair enough. I I like it a lot, but as I said, I could probably find more gangster films that give me the same same vibe yeah really like and repo. it's another one of those yeah well, yeah but it it's another one of those ones that i think i talked about and probably more so actually even than um reservoir dogs where it's one of those ones that i see myself in five years going looking at the um tv guide and going oh sbs 2's got road to perdition on oh uh, yeah. yeah i could watch that tonight you yeah, know like yeah. yeah 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 i'll watch half of that yeah I'll watch up to the montage. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, all right. So that's where that one sits at the moment. All right. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Okay. I um, predict, I'm going to make a prediction oh, yeah. now. Just that the, mm-hmm. I think the whole thing's going in the upshop eventually. That's my prediction. But I haven't seen any of the other films, so I actually have no idea. Yeah. Ooh, we'll see. We'll see. Next week, we're looking at That Thing You Do. Cool. I don't yeah. know anything one about of my, this film. One of my favourite films. Okay. Is it actually? Yeah. Oh, yeah. shit. I just made a prediction based on, <laughs> based on false assumptions. I didn't have all the data. Oh, I fucked up. All right. Yeah. Well, look, I look forward to uh, hopefully loving your favourite film with you. But we shall yeah. See. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd like to see that. I don't think it's going to offend you in any way. But Are um, you sure, Paul? Because I can be offended by pretty much anything. Yeah. Oh, I, there's very little to offend in this film, but okay. it's also a hard one to to love I, yeah we'll, we'll figure out <laughs> so strange now we'll figure it out next week but that thing you do for anyone watching at home yeah yes and or you can put in your predictions as well if you are interested just you know let us know is paul going to keep this amazing collection of tom hanks films or will they go to the op yeah. shop we're one to the op yeah. shop now we've got four more films to go it's anyone's game <laughs> All right. Make your predictions by on any of our socials at DVD Clutter, D-V-D-E-C-L-U-T-T-E-R. Correct. Um, you can also email them to us and we will maybe check the email. Who knows? Yeah. Who maybe knows? we will. Maybe well, we won't. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. I'm a Gemini. Um. I'm spontaneous. <laughs> I'm actually not. I really need routine and structure. Um, on that note, shall we say goodbye? Yeah. T Hanks for listening, everybody. Oh, my God. Have you See been ya. holding that one? <laughs> Have you been saving that up? That's so much. Oh, yeah. I'm cutting that out. (laughs) No.